if you're not misstepping, you're probably not asking enough of yourself. Uh, you're probably not putting yourself into challenging spaces that will get, you know, that second win, that, that next level out of you. So it's just at this point, I'm like, I look for the ups and downs because that means that I'm in the right place. everyone, Emily Abadi here bringing you episode 136 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with Marielle Hall. She's an Olympic runner training with the Bowerman Track Club and such a light. We, it's crazy, we had this conversation on Thursday of last week. This episode is launching on November 9th, 2020, and man, so much has happened in just such a short amount of time. We chat about her East Coast upbringing and running and college at Texas, her path to the 2016 Olympic Games and how she feels about the pushback of the upcoming Olympics. She chats with me about what it was like training solo over on the East Coast and then moving over to train with the Bowerman Track Club in 2017. We swap stories about handling the coronavirus pandemic, living alone, and talk about the things that excite us right now, the silver linings of 2020, and just so much more. Before we get into the swing of things, I do want to take a moment to give some love to my friends at Beam. Y'all have heard me talk about Beam before, and that's because I love it. (laughs) Beam was founded by two friends of mine now, two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you are sore or stressed, CBD can be key for recovery and self-care. And trust me, I am a living example of that. Lately, I have been leaning heavily into their Boost CBD topical. It's quick, dry, and helps to ease inflammation, boost athletic recovery, and soothe sore muscles, which I have definitely got even a week out post-NYC marathon. Between their Boost topical and their Focus capsules, I I finally feel like I have found like the Goldilocks combination of how to integrate CBD into my regular routine and just again, like they say, be my best self. They have a special offer for you. Head on over to beamtlc.com and use the promo code HURDLE for 15% off any Beam product. Again, that is beamtlc.com, B-E-A-M-T-L-C.com. Use code HURDLE at checkout for 15% off today. As always, if you have yet to follow along with HURDLE on social media, I would love for you to do that. I am over at HURDLE Podcast and over, of course, at Emily Abad. Make sure you're subscribed to the weekly Hurdle newsletter, and I'd love for you to join in on the Hurdlers Book Club upcoming on December 9th. 
this month we're reading I Thought It Was Just Me But It Isn't by Brene Brown and I would love for you to join us. One last little call out here, over 100 people joined the Secret Hurdlers Facebook group last week. I'd love to see that number continue on the ups. So details on that, show notes as well. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Marielle Hall. She is a runner, an Olympian. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, just came off of a rainy workout day in Portland. So glad to be indoors, warm, talking with you. (laughs) (laughs) Are we on that transitionary period where Portland starts to get into the gloom rain situation now? Yes, this is where if you were visiting to decide if you wanted to move here or not, you would decide not. Like you have oh. to <laughs> you have to come a few weeks earlier or uh, you know, in the spring summertime. These few weeks I think it's not the best of uh it's not what the city has to offer, I would say. <laughs> not what the city has to offer. Where were you before you lived in Portland? Um, So I grew up in New Jersey. I was training out of um, Philadelphia for the last, for I guess, uh, three years prior to um, coming out here and joining the team. And joining the team. And the team that you talk about is the Bowerman Track Club. How has that been for you? It's been good. It's it's been challenging. It's been rewarding. It's been um, exciting. It's been confusing. It's been all the things that like <laughs> any good thing will give you. So I love that perspective. It's been all of the things that any good thing will give you because I mean, if something's just giving you all of the goodness, then you're probably not going to be able to get as diverse or maybe as enriched of an experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, you know, sometimes you get frustrated with with the ups and downs, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what that's the point of it it is to have those varying points and be able to feel those out and challenge yourself. So it's been good. (laughs) Yes, it has been good. I will affirm (laughs) this to myself. You mentioned uh, being outside of New Jersey and training in Philadelphia. Talk to me about your life growing up. Have you always been an active person? Yes. I I would say that I got introduced to a multitude of sports and just activities out the gate. Um, I was very fortunate to just have parents that kind of threw it at the wall, see if it sticks, Um, you know, get as many experiences as possible. That's kind of what I remember from my childhood and growing up. And um, yeah, running was the one thing I felt like that I chose for myself. It stuck. I wanted to be out there. You know, my parents signed me up, but I was the one that was kind of like, I'm ready to keep, keep coming back. How old were you when you started running? I was around 10. 10. And when you started running at 10, what did that look like? It looked like not anything close to what I'm doing now. You know, I did long jump. I did hurdles. I did sprints. It was more, um, it was definitely more free flowing. It wasn't as structured. Um, But I definitely think I put a pretty serious attitude around running early on. But um, my early experience was definitely very playful. and. just an emphasis on trying every event. Um, And, you know, I was fortunate to be a part of a lot of really great track clubs, made a lot of close friends that I still have to this day. So yeah, it it was fun. Would you say that running for you was an outlet from a young age? I mean, a lot of people lean into sport because not only do they find it fun, but also because, uh, you know, just tough, tough things that go hand in hand with coming of age. 
Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was just something that allowed me to find my groove. And I don't think I really found my groove elsewhere. You know, I was, um, I grew up with an older sister, she's four years older than me. So anyone who has a sibling with that, um, probably you're growing up in middle school, high school years were awkward, you're fighting, um, you, you're not really finding like the friendship and, and the communication sisterhood that you have when you get older that I have now. So I think growing up, I was just kind of all over the place. I had a ton of interests. Um, I had a ton of energy. I um, and, and running was kind of just this one solid constant. And um, I think with having a little bit scatterbrain, I, I was really grateful to have something that I felt passionate about, but that also kind of help slow um, slow me down a little bit. Outside of running, did you have a lot of other activities that you were involved in or was this like, this was your one and go? Yeah. I mean, I did a ton. I did, I danced, I did ballet, tap and jazz growing up. I played the violin. Um, I, you know, I did um, soccer. I, I did a lot of different things. Running wasn't the only thing that was fulfilling or kind of on the schedule for me growing up. But again, I just recall it as the thing that stuck, you know, like I went to karate class for a day because my neighbor was going, I did all (laughs) these things that were so scattered and just were kind of little teasers to see, am I interested? Do I like this? Um, And none of those things affirmed me in the way running, running did. So I think that's what allowed me to recognize what um, like passion was and what what drive was early on was I experimented with all these different other things that it was like, no, that's not the feeling or that doesn't challenge me in the right way. Um, Yeah. I love what you said about the word affirmed me and it begs the question, did you feel always affirmed in running or even to this day uh, when you weren't coming out on top or necessarily winning? Like just did the experience make you feel really validated or was that something that kind of comes with uh, with performance and, and time on your feet, so to speak? Yeah, that, that's such a good question because um, I think I definitely had success early on, but I was also really challenged early on and, um, you know, I didn't win every race. I wasn't always the fastest or the best, but I think I really did love and appreciate the challenge. And even to this day where, you know, you all have those, we all have those days of why am I doing this? Um, I'm miserable. This is too hard. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I still come around to really loving the challenge and how it makes me extend, extend myself and, um, just really try and, um, be a detailed and disciplined person. I'm, I'm so grateful that running has given that to me. I get so many, so many messages from the hurdle community about, uh, talking to individuals who may not have had such a clear cut path or may not have, you know, started off in their journey in their sport or in their career and immediately thrive for those individuals that may not succeed at first or really do find it hard to stick with something. What piece of advice do you have for them? Uh, I'm the best piece of advice that I've gotten recently is, um, like all of the tumultuous times, all of the hard things that make you question yourself and um, all of those things are, you know, the ride, that's literally the most exciting part. So you, 
any year or any accomplishment that I look back on, I'm always more proud of how I attack the, the training, the buildup, my mentality leading up to this one event. It's never the event that I really am filled with joy and um, excitement and, and just like community. What I look back on on every year is um, the things I shared with other people, how I like rallied back from something, my mentality. Those are the things that I key into and that excite me and make me want to go for another challenge, a new challenge. So there is, you know, I don't think there's any perfect buildup year. Um, there's there's no succession that uh, you're going to get that will will lead you to the outcome that doesn't have any rocks in the road or um, any missteps. That's the whole point. Like if you're not misstepping, you're probably not asking enough of yourself. Uh, you're probably not putting yourself into challenging spaces that will get, you know, that second win, that, that next level out of you. So it's just at this point, I'm like, I look for the ups and downs because that means that I'm in the right place. I love that feedback. I love that takeaway. So then, I mean, you said thriving at the sport from a young age. Where do your successes in high school take you? Yeah, after high school, again, I'll key in important parts of my journey, which I feel like are important part of any journey is having good mentors, spaces that help you rethink what you can do, who you can be. I was fortunate to have a really great college coach who was instrumental in making me believe that I could run at a collegiate level um, and, and, you know, extend my career beyond high school. I went to the University of Texas, um, which isn't necessarily known as a distance program, but I was really enthralled by all of the incredible women that made up not only the coaching staff, but also uh, the alumni charts are, are some of the greatest female athletes a part of USA track and field. So um, I was drawn to that. And yeah, I spent four years in Austin, Texas, which which I loved. It was, again, a very challenging situation away from, you know, very far away from the East Coast. I never lived anywhere, been around anyone but people from the East Coast. Um, so it was a whole new lesson culturally. Um, and also just physically challenging, academically challenging. I've got to ask you about the cultural takeaways. Like, what do you mean uh, culturally? Because I mean, I'm also from the East Coast. I grew up in Connecticut originally. Mm -hmm. I live in New York. So I feel this, but I'm interested kind of what you what you mean by that. Yeah, it, it was just the, the student body. I, I think it was different. Um, it was different religiously. It was different. Um, in just like colloquial sayings, um, pace, pace of life, right? Like I was really, um, I felt like I was the person that was always talking too fast or, you know, not, I just feel like it slowed me down again in the best possible way. People were, it, it felt very centered around, more centered around like community building and it was, there's a, there's a different history to the South. Um, like I am a black woman. It's, it also confronts race differently. Um, so that was an experience that I, I hadn't really, um, dug too deep into during my, um, growing up and in my years in, um, in high school. So yeah, there's, there's some like easier things, you know, like, uh, this person, we're opening doors and making eye contact. The grocery store tellers want to talk instead of just like, you know, keep it moving. Little things like that. And then there's, you know, bigger 
um, pictures painted about, um, you know, how you socialize and um, what traditions uh, different uh, places hold. So it was a cluster of a lot of different things, but in, in the best way possible again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you brought up race and I would be remiss if I didn't highlight the writing that you've been doing recently. Your two items for Runner's World, they're both like just so well written. And thank you so much for for putting that perspective out there. Oh, no. Yeah. Thank you for reading and grateful for Runner's World or to Runner's World for allowing me, um, yeah, just some space to obviously talk about things that are very personal to me and then touch that it can make other people feel things within their own experience. Of course. For for anyone who may not have um, had the opportunity to, to read these yet, and I'll make sure that I put the links to both articles in the in the show notes, what uh, would you say, if you had to summarize, was like your goal of opening up over there? Um, mostly just holding myself more accountable. I think I have a lot of internal dialogue with myself or, you know, maybe with my sister, my parents, um, some of my friends. And I feel like I was getting to a point where I was just hoarding feelings and, and things, um, that should, I should feel comfortable verbalizing. And obviously in the time that we're living in need to be verbalized. Um, so yeah, that, that was really the main motivation is I think you can only complain about your situation for so long before you, do something about it. And I think I was just getting into a pattern of um, complaining and um, just holding maybe too many cards close to my chest and in a way that wasn't helpful to me or anyone's growth around me. What an interesting phrase. I was hoarding my feelings. <laughs> yeah, that sounds maybe more dramatic than than intended. But it makes me really think. I mean, how often probably not just relevant, of course, to the topics at hand and talking about um, racism, but also just like in a day to day as well, dealing with so many things that we each internalize and hold close to the chest because we might be scared of letting them out into the world. Yeah, exactly. I think I was just, I feel very, um, like receptive again, like I'm, I'm on a team right now. I've grown up on teams and working with people around people. I I feel like I enjoy collaborative work. and, And sometimes when that happens, you dance a little bit too much around people and, and yourself. And I, and I think I had gotten to a point where maybe I was just trying to, um, abide by what I felt like was appropriate for my situations instead of really just listening to what was appropriate for me and, and my, uh, my growth and hoping that that would help other people. And I can tell you that I'm positive that you opening up definitely is helping other people. So let's bring it back to you in college. When was it in college that you truly started to understand just how much potential you really had. Do you remember? Um, I mean, I think the what I remember most about college is that there were always people around me that were very supportive of where they thought I could go and, and the like athletic achievements that they thought I could attain. But it wasn't until really my senior year that I personally decided that I could do those things. And that has been a pattern 
in my entire career from when I was little to now. It's, it's mostly been a personal decision for when I decide that I believe in what I can do and I, you know, affirm what I want out of a situation that that's when things start happening. And, you know, no sooner or no later, it's it just, there a lot of, um, you know, any, anything you're trying to do, it really has to be, um, intrinsic to you and not really what other people support, of course, helps and you need people. <laughs> um, but, I mostly learned that when I make the decision to um, believe or trust in myself for something, that's when it starts to work in my favor. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember a time in college when maybe that self-belief wasn't fully there? Yeah. I mean, all college, even uh, I just think the, I I remember feeling like in college that like the bar kept getting raised before I could catch up to it. Like, you know, I would be feeling like I was in a good place competitively or running times where I felt like we're good. But, you know, those those feelings of accomplishments were kind of stripped away when I saw what was happening on a national level or, um, you know, maybe even some people in my conference that were running really fast. And I think I just felt like, oh, you know, I missed that step. So it, I'm going to how am I going to get to, you know, step three if I'm um everyone's on step three, I'm on step one, like, they're going to just keep moving forward. And, you know, I'm always going to be playing catch up. And I remember having that feeling of, of not being able to catch up. And I finally just was like, okay, I can have, um, you know, some people take the stairs one by one, some people jump four at a time. Um, and <laughs> you just have to be you know, you got to have a little bit of faith in yourself or a lot of bit of faith in yourself that, you know, you're going to take the stairs a different way there. You may take the elevator, right? Like just kind of staying committed to the work and just continuing to ask for the things that I felt like I was capable of and not try and dwindle them down to, um, you know, where I was in that exact moment, but continuing to just like have really good vision in myself. Um, that that really was what helped me um, just changed my frame of thinking was like, I don't have to go one by one. I can, I can do something different. I can, I can get there in a different way. And I mean, despite feeling like you were constantly in this game of catch up, you had your fair share of successes in college, various different first place titles here for you. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's the best game, but also an unfortunate game, right? Like always wanting more is what gets you up. It would, what keeps you moving. And I am, beyond grateful to have something that gets me up in the morning that, you know, keeps me, keep me, keeps me focused, keeps me disciplined, like keeps me asking questions, keeps me learning. Like I love that I have something like that, but it also is double-edged sword where, you know, you do have to really learn how to celebrate your successes, which I don't think I was very good at. Um, it's still really hard um, because success is all relative, you know, like I have this painting of what I want to be my version of success in my mind. And if it doesn't happen like that, um, you know, you can be a little bit finicky, you can be unreasonable. Um, but I, I've learned that it's just like, I, I just have to tell myself I'm going to get there wherever there is. And I just got to just keep plugging away and, um, you know, learn to find 
like joy and many successes on the way along the way it sounds so corny and I'm not even going to pretend like I'm good at <laughs> good at doing it <laughs> like I'm not all in all like I want to really enjoy what I'm doing I want to enjoy being here and and be present in that so I'll play the little games with myself to get there yeah. for sure and I mean so you had your you had some great success in in college and then in the fall after your senior year, you move back to Philadelphia, right? Yes. Yep. Talk to me about that move and and what where you were at. Like, were you ready to take on this sport full time? Yeah, it, it came as a I, I don't want to say it came as a surprise because running professionally after college was a desire of mine. Like, and, but I also had created this secondary option for myself. I applied for Teach for America and I was, um, you know, I was going to be teaching a, I, I, I already was stationed to be there to teach, like signed up for um, my uh, like training program over the summer. That was kind of my backup plan, but was becoming more of my full-time plan. Um and and so it was i think that that was kind of lingering in the back of my mind but as long as the opportunity to run prevented presented itself that that was what i was going to do so i felt ready for the transition of course being ready for something doesn't make it easy or doesn't actually mean you were ready for it i i moved you know essentially back home and was training with my high school coach and and just some people that I had been that I had known, you know, since high school. So it was nice to be in familiar territory while I was kind of pursuing this unknown. But but it was really difficult. It's hard to be a profession. There's no like real blueprint in professional running the same way that there is in you know maybe if you get drafted to a team or um, you know, you, you join a league or something, it, running is, is very individualized in that way. So it can be you're really setting your own routine and your own structure. And that was a little bit challenging coming out of the collegiate system, just because, you know, everything is you, you're told what time you'd be at practice, what time you're at weights. Um, you know, these are the three places you go to eat. Uh, it, it just mm-hmm. kind of simplifies things a lot. Um, and being professional, obviously, you have a lot more freedom to individualize and tailor your schedule and your training. But that also makes you open up a bunch of tabs of like, should I do this or that or try this? And that can be a little bit difficult when you just have to learn how to get back to simplicity after, you know, getting to the buffet of post-collegiate um, running, professional running, um, and then like learning how you simplify it. You mentioned Teach for America. What made you not go that route? Yeah, mostly just things kind of quickly having this opportunity um, to run professionally. It really kind of came together at the very last, my, you know, my last race in college and then um, the U.S. championships um, a few weeks later, that was kind of cemented that I was going to be able to have a contract and and train and um, train full time. So, you know, I defer, I remember I deferred my slot in Teach for America, you're allowed to defer it for a year. Um, And I just was saying like, I'm going to be trying to train for these world championships and the Olympics. And it was a valid enough um, 
reason to to delay my entry. So I was like, I'm, I kind of still had that um, during my first year, which I think helped me just be like, I can, I can still do something else. Like you're still doing this for fun, even though, you know, it's a job now, you can still um, do other things if, if you if you hate it or if, if it doesn't work out. Um, but I really kind of just immersed myself in it. And then now it, it's, it is, you know, very much where I want to be full time. And if teaching will still be there, if, um, if I needed to be. So that that's something that um, I, yeah, I can still do. You moved to Philadelphia in 2014. And then come 2016, you head on over to a very important moment for yourself. The uh, Let's start with the track and field trials. So talk to me about uh, the track and field trials and how it was for you to make your first Olympic team. Yeah, it was super exciting. Again, I'll lament that was most exciting because at the time I was um, you know, my coach's first Olympian. I qualified with a really close friend and teammate. Um, and that was the first time I think my whole family was at one of my races. So, you know, the day, the, the day's events are kind of a bit of a blur and, you know, the race was very hard. It was my second 10 K and it, um, very dramatically from my first, my first one felt, you know, comfortable and, and it was kind of the conditions and the pacing were all very smooth and agreeable. And I, you know, um, the trials for, for my second attempt at the distance was, it was hot. Um, they changed the time of the race to the morning because it was going to be so hot. Um, so that just kind of, I remember threw things off a little bit mentally was, you know, preparing to be for a night race versus waking up super early. But yeah, it was, it was crazy. I remember like I had been to Eugene before a lot of our collegiate championships are there. U.S. trials are there in, in other, during other years, but you know, the uh, Hayward field really does transform during the Olympic trials and I had never been to the trials before. So I remember definitely feeling a little bit, um, starstruck going the night before to like get my bib and seeing all these tents things blow up and yeah it just was it felt like a very amplified moment and I was a little bit I remember being a little bit shocked by that I got got a little bit nervous but you know mostly very excited Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Athletic Greens. You know, Athletic Greens is is funny. First of all, if you don't know by now, (laughs) it's a greens powder that's got the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. It's also got prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. And I was walking around my neighborhood over the weekend uh, with a bottle of Athletic Greens, like a, a labeled bottle that they that they sent over and two different people on the street stopped me to talk about it. I find that Athletic Greens kind of like maybe Whoop, I would say, has such a crazy devoted following, like total fans of the brand. And that's because I promise you, if you integrate it into your routine, it'll be hard to remember what life was like without it. With Athletic Greens as a regular part of my day-to-day, I just 
feel more capable. I feel like my best self. I feel like my digestion is better. My body feels better. You have got to get in on the Athletic Greens game as well. They have an awesome offer for Hurdle listeners. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and grab a year's supply of vitamin D on them with your first purchase. Again, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get a free D3 K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase today. No code necessary. Next up, a shout out to my friends at Element. Let me tell you, I started integrating Element into my workouts over the summer and I have never felt better. Element is zero sugar hydration to support your active lifestyle. I will never forget this. On mile 13, when I had barely consumed any hydration whatsoever last week, a friend who I had stocked up with the orange salt flavor of Element, she ran up to me, literally a lifesaver, and handed me this bottle. It was the best thing I feel like I have ever consumed. Their recharge packets have the ideal ratio of electrolytes. We're talking 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium without all of that dodgy stuff that you just don't understand or don't want to intake. I'm talking no sugar, no gluten, no fillers, no artificial ingredients, and they're paleo and keto friendly. You've got to get in on the element game. I swear you will never look back. Head on over to drinkelement.com slash hurdle right now. Again, that is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash hurdle to get yours today. Let's get back to it. Talk to me about the time period between the trials and going to the Olympics. What do you remember about that buildup? Yeah, so I mean, we were just back in Philly. Um, we didn't do like any training camps beforehand just because the weather and the time was going to be pretty um, similar to to East Coast. And then the humidity and, and weather we were experiencing there were, were guessing would be pretty similar to Rio. Um, so yeah, again, I remember just being having a community rally around you. Like I had a ton of of guys that were were helping me um, pace through things, or just like keep me company on runs. Um, and it was it was just fun. We 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 trained at Sheltonham Middle School. This is, and I remember like the kids and the teachers and, and everyone being really excited that, you know, like we had spent all year training there and you now we were getting ready for our buildup. And it did definitely feel like the community really rallied around the work that we had put in all year that they had seen us put in all year. And, and, um, and was like, you know, every practice kind of felt like a mini send off. Uh, so that was fun. And, yeah, it's a little bit surreal because you have to spend a little bit of time coming down from the high and, and then get back into preparation again. Um, so yeah, that that was I remember being a little bit challenging, but I'm I'm hopeful to get another attempt at it. So um, hmm. you know, I'm prepared on on how to refocus again. Was just simply being there absolutely surreal like when you arrived in Rio did you ever expect or envision this for yourself when you were younger 
I think like when I was younger, it felt much more of like a vivid dream or, or aspiration that I wanted for myself. You know, I remember I like wrote in some journal that I that I wanted to go to the Olympics because I wanted to be a part of a team and I wanted to run on all the relays. Um, so it was definitely something that was, I feel like embedded in me when I was younger, but as I got older, you know, you like stinks that you have to have all these quote unquote, like rational thoughts, but it's just put into perspective when I got older that it was, you know, was a little bit more than just the desire and a dream. There's a ton of work behind it that had to happen for, for something like that to meticulate. So um, I think as I got older, maybe I separated myself a little bit from that dream just because, um, you know, maybe I was just nervous about it not happening. So you just kind of let go a little bit um, in hopes to take a little bit of the pressure off yourself. Um, yeah, I felt like as soon as I turned professional, it was like even in 2012, I remember like our cross country team went to Houston to watch the marathon trials. Um, so I felt like I was getting little sprinkles here or there. Like I watched the 2012 trials and the Olympics and um, I was just, you know, so long as I was also running, I think that also, that was always something um, in in my mind that I wanted to do. Talk to me about injury. How has that been something that you have navigated throughout your professional career? So I've been pretty fortunate not to experience really any injuries of like huge magnitude that that's made me take an extended period of time off or, um, you know, I think the biggest trouble that I've had in physically is I met, I don't necessarily have like the bone break or fracture or or those sorts of hard lines I think I can sometimes dig myself into holes and you know I won't have any physical scar from it but it is um, I think I, I've had trouble learning or trying to figure out where my um, where my line is where I'm what I've gone too far um, so that's really been the biggest challenge competitive in in um, in the training space for me is figuring out what, what is enough and, and what is um, how I can structure my training in a way so that I'm not just getting so fatigued. Um, Cause you know, my, just personally for me, my body won't show those fatigues in, in the way of, um, you know, an injury. Whether it's an injury or just something someone might be going through in their personal life. So often we have these hurdles, as we love to call them, that that pop up when we least expect it. Or someone that might be struggling with uh, with an injury, what would you advise or what would you what piece of advice would you offer them to stay positive if possible when they might not be able to perform how they wish that they could? I think it's all really just trying to restructure it as the challenge that you that you wanted. Um, you know, I feel like I try and tell myself a lot of times in workouts where, where I'm really tired or I'm just not feeling great. I'm like, this this is it. Like this is the feeling that you've been trying to mimic, so that when race day comes, when you're in a tight position or space, that you have the tools to navigate it. Um, so you know, injury. Or, you know, the hurdle, that's, that's not what you want. That's not what you plan for. But getting it can be a gift in that you're just adding to your tool belt and how you can 
um, how you can respond. And really, that's what it comes down to is, you know, what we train so hard for is, is being able to have a response to, you know, what the challenge is. Definitely. And you mentioned the difficulties that came hand in hand with not necessarily waking up every day and being told exactly what to do and being part of a bigger team. In 2017, though, you make a shift and become part of a team again. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was that I wanted to be in... um in a more distance-oriented group, I, I was training predominantly with a lot of really incredible um, middle distance, mostly 800-meter athletes, and I was trying to find my niche in in some of the longer events. So I, I wanted that challenge and that guidance, and I also didn't want to be afraid of people of you know of getting dropped or having tough workouts, being in tough places. I, I wanted to. Um, you know, think that for myself, I, I could learn to be in a place where, you know, I may not be the best every day, I may not have the best days, but I could still be supportive of other people. And I could still be supportive of myself, despite like, different things happening around me, like, I wanted to challenge myself in that way, because, you know, I want to believe that I am a, um, I'm a supportive person, like, I want everyone to win just as much as I want myself to win. Um, and and I, I wanted to be in that type of, in that type of culture and environment. And I felt like Bowman was a really good opportunity to put myself in a place that I would, that I would have to make adjustments to my frame of thinking and, and just adjustments to my training and, and hope that all of these changes that I was making would make me, you know, just a better athlete and hopefully person. For sure. So talk to me about what your first impressions were of training with the track club. Hmm, that's a good that's a good question. <laughs> first impression. Not to throw anybody under the bus or anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, previous guest, Emily Infeld, I remember like <laughs> going to one of our first practices and doing in the fall, we do a lot of base work, a lot of long repeats. And I remember like seeing Emily do, you know, I don't remember what it was, but it was way further than anything I'd ever done in practice, way faster. And I just remember being like, wow, you know, like that's, that's it. Like that's what you have to get to. And if, you know, you're, it was a good feeling to just be in a place where you're like, okay, the, the work and the formula is set. You kind of just have to figure out how you can, how you can get there. Um, and yeah, I just remember being really impressed by everyone and just, you know, besides all of the athletic achievements that, you know, had already been accomplished and that were obviously showing up day to day in practice, it was just really good energy and nice people, um, which I think there can be some misnomers about having a ton of talent in one place that can be catty or, um, you know, a tough working environment, but I felt the opposite where it was all just really supportive. And, you know, it made it challenged me to be like, okay, am I, am I giving that support back? Because, you know, I definitely felt like people were constantly filling your cup and just like telling you that it was, you know, it was hard, but you'll get there. And um, yeah, that's what I remember. It was just like, you know, when you're no matter what, like, you know, when you are around good people and, and Bowerman is definitely filled with a lot of good people. 
you talked earlier, we we quipped a little bit about this concept of emotional hoarding and, and trying to get comfortable, not just with yourself, but those around you. When you finally were surrounded with so many like-minded individuals and, and women, did you feel a little bit more at ease to to vocalize and talk about your shared experiences? Yeah, I it was definitely different because, you know, when I was training before in, in Philly or even in college, it was, there was still so many varying interests. You know, some people are only training part-time. Some people are, you know, this is their full job. Um, some people are, an environment, of course, has a ton of different personalities and varying interests, but it felt like we were definitely united by, you know, we were all under this all working towards the same thing. Everyone's individual goals vary a little bit, but it was like the type of excellence and um, that everyone was was trying to work towards felt very grounding and similar. So that's just like a really powerful thing to be a part of is when everyone really um, is, you know, I think that's why we are able to respect each other so well and work so well together is because there is that, Uh, we all are rooted in the same principles of like wanting to get the most out of ourselves, finding our potential, like pushing the limits of the sport. And um, all of those principles, I think, are foundations for everyone in their training. So it's just cool to be unified by that. From a running perspective, and then we'll shift into probably a little bit more of the personal side. I'd love to hear about how this year has been for you and your training? It's been it's been tough, but um, I'll, I also have to give credit to this the team and 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 just everyone really still did show up day to day the best that they could despite varying circumstances. And this year was very hard for me. Um, just you know being here. I think it was much, of course, it was an isolating year, I think, for everyone. But I think it was, it, it felt like kind of got hit with, hit with a brick every, every few weeks there. Um, and then the, in the early spring, and then like this thick of summer. Um, so training was, I, I wouldn't say that it was felt easy every day to get out there. But I also was really maintaining my routine of training really did help me like move the days, <laughs> like just have some type of pace and rhythm to, to my life. Um, so I, um, you know, professional running is, is pretty simplistic anyway. Like you do spend a lot of your time training and then basically quarantining in place more or less. Um, I think what was more frightening about that time was seeing the restriction on other people and everything else. Like I think you're used to you being the only one or your little bubble being the only one, but when it kind of hits every corner, um, that was what, what challenged, you know, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? What's this going to add up to? Um, all of that uncertainty surrounding is I think what made it more challenging, but I was super grateful to have some type of pattern because I know that's probably like the hardest part about this time is the time just doesn't feel real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, what you said about like feeling like you got like the brick thrown at you, I think that so many people can relate to. We started 
this question just talking about running, but now, I mean, talk to me about how it's been for you personally. Hard. I am, you know, I had a lot of fam. Like my dad is is a doctor. Um, my mom works in um, in um, for Head Start, a nonprofit that is servicing um, early childhood education in some more in need areas of of, of New York and um, and some regions outside of there. Um, I have grandparents that you know. My grandma's in New York had, hadn't left her hasn't really left her apartment in, in quite some time. I have a lot of cousins and family and friends on the East Coast, and and I think that was scary to just you know be watching upticks from across the country and you know not feeling. My parents are you know older of of demog- you know in a demographic that would have me worried. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, it was just confusing. I, I was definitely very worried about about my family and just not just felt very disconnected. Um, you know, I was not really have I I loved all of the FaceTimes and the Zooms, but you know, they filled me for that moment. But it's like you still have to end the call and you're just at home in your apartment wondering, you know what's going to come next. And I think that just brought up a lot of anxiety and was just really hard to watch things kind of unravel, felt like um, just worried about the sustainability of businesses and families and health and and all these, all these moving parts really, I think took a toll on um, just my ability to, to cope well with, with, with what was going on. Yeah, I feel that. Do you live alone? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I do too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, not to uncover like your marital status, but more so just to sympathize with you no, no. on the fact that like I totally I feel that. I mean, and I I live in New York, and my family's in Connecticut. But even being you know proximity wise closer, I still you know didn't see my family for. Uh, at least five months mm-hmm. um, outside of like Zoom happy hours and like Zoom Shabbat services <laughs> and Zoom everything I've never thought about ever Zooming before in my life. <laughs> yes. And so I can, I mean, I can totally relate with you about just feeling at times super lonely and a little unsure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely a wild ride to be to live alone during this and I'm sure people will say the same thing about having multiple roommates or whatever the circumstances may be but um I just I think it's it's dangerous to be isolated with your thoughts during you know a global pandemic social unrest an election like all these moving parts coming up and I just think you, I just had way too much time to my own thoughts, and um, that that was that was that was definitely a big challenge personally. Which was trying was learning how to just kind of shut yourself up sometimes and just watch something or listen to something or mm-hmm. you know do some activity, whatever it may be, um, that can just kind of put you into that and out of this like doomsday headspace. <laughs> I know the doomsday headspace well. So, I mean, from um, a 
positive perspective, however, what good would you say has come from this year for you? Good, I would say, is I'm just, I'm doing my best to continue to just, you know, pick up the phone and continue to hold on to these relationships that I feel like really got me through um, a a tough time and, and to just nurture those things in my life. Because I, I, I know everyone, I'm sure, is probably a new found appreciation for family or friends that are become family, whatever it may be for you. But, um, you know, I don't think I was the best person at always picking up the call or calling my grandparents or, you know, setting aside time to check in on people as well as being open to them check on me. So, um, you know, that that is the good piece is where I feel like I just we've all gotten so creative in, in how we interact with one another. And then, um, I just I think that's just been inspiring all in all is that we have found a way to work through things and um, get get a little get creative again and and I am grateful and you know that that's been the positive outcome for me this year is that it's just like you we you can make things happen <laughs> um, no matter what and you just have to kind of keep plugging away at it and keep the lines of communication open reach out to people. Um, yeah, that, that's been my, my big takeaway of the year is I'm not always the best person at like picking up a call or making the call, but, um, I have newfound commitment to it. (laughs) (laughs) I like that positive progress. All forward progress is progress. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, obviously we're recording this during a, crazy uncertain time right now for our country. This episode, it's going to be coming out on November 9th. We're recording it on November 5th. So much could happen between <laughs> now and then, which is just crazy. Um, but, but in, I guess, maybe a more general sense, how do you feel right now in this moment? I, I fluctuate between <laughs> not like nauseous, worried, and um, just kind of fired up no matter what. Like, I think that there, I'm, I just have, I want to be hopeful always. Like, I think you, you really need to have discipline in being hopeful. It doesn't just come to you. You do have to work at it. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to switch my mindset to is, you know, like no matter what, there were some great things. There were some really powerful outcomes um, from this election. And I feel like I've been really leaning into Stacey Abrams' story of, you know, I felt like she had a really tough um, outcome in Georgia in um, two years ago. And she's just like continued to, to rally and organize and speak on behalf of, you know, everyone having their voice heard. And um, just her work in voter suppression and then what she's done to kind of rewrite, I think, a really tough um, time for her has been really inspirational for me personally. So I'm like, if she can get up and keep it moving and talk about how important it is that, that we all are engaged and, um, and participating, you know, I can, I too can, can find a way to, no matter what, um, be dutiful in in my in my um, hopefulness and and just really reach for reach for positives and like 
you just gotta just gotta keep working. Um, just that's, gotta keep working. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's been, it's definitely been like an interesting, an interesting couple of weeks. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that things would be happening in one way or another way. And if anything, this is just another example of, of understanding that things might not always go as you thought or had hoped, but there's still always going to be a tomorrow. And it's up to us to figure out how to how to best push forward in these situations of both adversity and and things that maybe you couldn't truly have prepared for as you wish you could have. For sure. I think like the lesson is, you know, you always have to be on ready to pivot and ready to plan, replan. Doesn't look like anything how I personally thought it was going to look, you know, maybe that that's different for any, for other people, but I think the big difference for me is, you know, learning not to just sit in, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, just having better reaction time, like failing faster, learning faster, um, just keeping it moving and, um, yeah, just have to be ready to to come up with, with a new strategy always. Definitely. So tell me, what excites you right now? Exciting news. Um, hmm. hmm. <laughs> well, I I really do feel very um, empowered and excited by just all of the like creative people right now. I like, I look back on all of the you know like random DJ sets and verses that artists did during quarantine, like. There's literally already a movie out about COVID on some Netflix, Hulu, something. Um, there's interviews happening. There's I just feel like there's a ton of ideas being exchanged right now. There's a ton of um, work being put out to help us navigate what is happening. Um, and, you know, not directly related to what's happening, but just who we are like as a nation and, and what our you know, who we are, what we are, what we have to say, what we care about. I'm, I'm really excited. Even podcasts, like I'm just excited about all this exchange, all these voices, new voices, old voices. Like that's what really has been so inspiring to me during these times. And, you know, it's like really what gets me fired up is I feel like all of these things combined can really be instrumental in influencing how we you know, go about treating one another, how we make laws, how we um, just govern and interact with each other in general. I think they're going to be really influential in that. And I like the diversity and creativity in all those spaces. So that's kind of what I'm excited about. I think just people doing their thing really well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And a creative exchange of ideas. I dig that. So, yeah. I mean, right now, if I was to open your Instagram, I would see a strong woman, female athlete, runner that's got 14.1 thousand followers. When you, Marielle, look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Um, I see a very um, just a curious person, um, fun, <laughs> and question mark. Yeah, question mark. <laughs> I think I'm fun, but I think you're fun I too. <laughs> um, I'm someone who is just like 
hopeful that there's still more to go. Like I, I like who I am, but but I hope that I'm I'm still growing and I'm excited. I'm definitely when I wake up, I'm excited. I don't know what's happening, but I'm excited to um to just continue to like have different versions of myself. Right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice. I'm going to bring it back to earlier this year. I mean, 2020 has been a hurdle for so many of us. You have an opportunity maybe to offer the Marielle who is sitting at home alone, unsure of what the hell is going on, a piece of advice back in April. What do you tell her? Oh, man, that's that's good. Um, If I can give myself a piece of advice in April, maybe just just pace yourself. (laughs) I think I came out of the gates blazing when I heard the news of like, we were going to have additional time. I I think I just got really fixated on this idea of extra time. Um, and that I, you know, if that meant that I had to go above and beyond what I was doing in my current time. Um, so if I could go back, I would just say, you know, this has, these have been extreme circumstances. I don't know if I can really qualify this year as extra time. Um, like, so I would just tell myself, to, you know, continue to stay, stay in the lane that you're in and pace yourself, be patient. Um, you, you don't have to, um, go like, you don't have to change anything or you don't have to do more because I don't know, this isn't punishment, I guess. (laughs) Um, just, you know, continue to keep doing the things that you're doing and, and yeah, always just have a little bit more patience. How do you feel about the Olympic pushback? I it, it's still really wild to be in the next year of, or like already kind of be almost in 2021, and then to kind of be in November what would have been after the Olympics. Um, I think the whole big thing about sports again is like there is no extra time. You have to be ready when the dates set, and the dates set you know in stone always. Um, so it's a little crazy. I have never had this or, you know, I know no one's ever had this, but, um, I, I think it's been strange to kind of continue to play the, well, what if kind of game? Um, so I've had to try and like, just get out of that and really just accept like, okay, it didn't happen. Um, (laughs) You got to kind of move on and figure out what the next next stage of things will be. Or, um, so, yeah, it's, it's wild, I think. But um, it's been wild for everyone. And since this has been something that's hit everyone, I think you kind of can take yourself out of it a little bit and just say, well, it is what it is. You can just do the best you can with what you have. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give me all the deets. How do they keep up with me? Um, Probably just Instagram. Um, It's my full name, but an extra L on the end. And yeah, I mean, you give a follow to the Bowerman Track Club. Bowerman TC on Instagram and Twitter. I will be training, appearing probably 
in that space in some capacity. And um, the Olympic trials are set for um, June of 2021. So if there are any track fans or converted track fans, I would say, you know, mark that, mark that on your calendar. I think that's about it. That's it. <laughs> I am at Emily Abadi at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.